Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Good morning. Today is Thursday, November 7th. This is the main course OG. I'm Emily Pearson, and I'm here in studio with my co-host Patrick Martins. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, first time? First time caller, long time fan? Yeah, exactly. I think that's what you are for sure. You only founded the network 10 years ago, and Monday is the Heritage Radio Network 10th anniversary gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens. Monday yeah, with the an 11th. amazing array of chefs, right? Can you rattle them off really quick? What restaurants are represented? Marta, Daily Provisions. Winsun, Momofuku Nishi, Saxelby Cheesemongers, Casella's Prosciutto. Uh, we also have, oh, there's not the full invite here. Roberta's Pizza, or excuse me, Roberta's Bread. Bakery, yeah. Um, cheeses from Wisconsin. We have and Park Amy. Avenue from the Quality Meats Group. That's right. Marlowe and Daughters is going to be in the house. is going to be doing a carving station. 70 pounds of prime rib, which is the only thing I couldn't get donated. Of course, so it's the most expensive you're going to eat it all, thing. right? Well, I'm going to be there for sure. I'm going to feel like I deserve at least a pound of that. Um, but it's an awesome lineup. There's a VIP hour from 6 to 7, and there's regular tickets from 7 until whenever the party's over. Mm-hmm. They do a live auction and I think an online auction. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is more information at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash gala, and we will all be there. And congratulations to you. I'm sure all of you know that Emily has kind of taken the lead in the heritage charcuterie movement. That's charcuterie made by America's greatest artisans using 100% pasture-raised heritage breeds. So three of her kind of pet projects have been awarded a national award, a good food award. They're finalists, let's say. So the, yeah, the... Awards are in January out in California, and everybody gets announced officially then, but they do it by region, and there's, I think, 15 different categories. So so. when we looked at the region of charcuterie, we realized that our people probably had to win because they didn't have people in the same state or region. Patrick and I were counting how many are in the east, how many are in the south, but we're really excited. So congratulations, Edward Suriano Ham, Cesare's uh, Prosciutto. Prosciutto Speciale. And Volpe's. Heritage Prosciutto. So good job, Emily. Yeah, Those are uh, big awards. Oh, thank you. Patrick, you've been a, a Sam is much before my time and True. the Suriano is awesome. But I will give it give you credit for okay, it on air. You. Oh, I appreciate it. Sure. Um so Halloween has come and gone. We've changed the clocks. It's now dark when you walk outside at five o'clock and um it's feeling like winter. Patrick, you were telling me about Scorsese really hating on the Marvel movies this week. Well, he hate yeah he hates the Marvel movies. He says there's no character tension, and that you know if you're a young director with the dream and really creative, there's not that many opportunities anymore because such a high percentage of the movies are these Marvel comics. And then some actors got mad at him, like uh, Samuel L. Jackson got mad, and I guess anyone who's been very successful in Marvel movies are like fuck you, Scorsese. But I like it. I mean, he just came out with The Irishman, which everyone says fantastic, and it's good that those. Movies Apparently everybody's wearing blue color contacts in the Irishman movie. 
they gotta really look the, the Are you Irish offended part. as an Irishman that three Italians were used to play Irishmen? Someone corrected me. Someone said, is it De Niro is actually Irish, mm-hmm. not Italian? But I felt like they had this sort of uh, Italian persona. Every movie, Pacino and uh, even like Stephen Van Zandt, and everyone had this sort of Italian way about them. But I heard they're fantastic. So, all right, we are going to jump into our weekly based. We have some awesome guests in the studio. Uh, we're going to start with the game of word association. First up, we have Dave Campaniello. Did I say that right, Dave? Uh, Campaniello. Campaniello of Arancini Brothers. No, you mispronounced it again. Campaniello. Campan- yeah, that's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> now he's going to say whatever yeah, you whatever. said he was okay. going to say. Was okay. So our good friend and neighbor here in Bushwick, Dave, your word is balls. Word association? Yeah. Balls. Whatever you think about. Chutzpah. Uh, <laughs> Arancini. Bon Scott. I like chutzpah. Bon Scott. ACDC. Oh, uh, I see, I see. Big balls. Uh, how many do I need? No, no you don't need good. any. It's just great. more like uh, oh. what comes to mind. That, was, that like, was brilliant. That was the best ever. In fact, don't say another word for the whole show. Perfect. That was perfect. All right. Also in the studio with us, we have Jessica Geddes, an alum of Roberta's here, and a wine enthusiast, server, jack of all trades, currently at Vinegar Hill House. Jessica, your word is hospitality. Uh, accountability. As, yeah. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And if oh, I said genius. accountability, would you say hospitality? Oh. No. Probably not. <laughs> no, that would be like, I, I would think of an abacus. Oh. Counting. Okay. Oh. Accounting. Oh. That's not where my head went with that one. Yeah. But I like that. Yeah. Like accountability. Everyone is here for each other. So Front we of house, met back of house. At, yes. True. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we met at Vinegar Hill. I've known her at Roberta's, and then I saw her at Vinegar Hill House, uh, and so we were like, oh my God, you guys are going to do the radio. This is awesome. Yeah, but actually what I heard happened is Patrick invited you on the radio. You were like, no, 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 no. Oh, I started I'm nervous. I can't do that. And then by the end of the meal, you came back, and you were like, okay, I'm ready. I've prepared. Yeah. All right, we also have Serena Snyder in the studio with us, social media communications extraordinaire, and our friend from the film uh, Eating Animals, and a current journalism grad student at Columbia University. I kind of gave it away. Your word is eating animals. Go. Cow. (laughs) Chicken. um, Fish. I just think of the actual animals that we eat. And uh, do you... And they... Mostly get treated unjustly. Well, ultimately, almost all of them have the ultimate injustice, but it's how they live their life, right? I mean, that movie was a lot about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's about the farmers who are trying to treat them better, which has a silver lining. There was that terrible scene, I think, of the most lasting moment. They didn't even talk about it much. Was that weird milk? That dripping milk or so? What yeah. was that? Well, there's... Um, you mean like... When the cows, when they were like trying to mechanically milk them, yes, and it, 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 you saw a dripping milk that looked yellow and totally yeah, inappropriate. Exactly. To drink. I mean, it's just like in general, there's so many antibiotics that the cows, you know, are are given that they basically the milk the and quality is just pretty bad. You don't want to be ingesting it. Yeah, for sure. So when I segue to, to talk about the fatal stabbing that happened at Popeye's, and is there any food you would risk being stabbed for, is yours milk? 
I mean, <laughs> dripping, dripping milk. Dripping milk. No, I mean, I would stab for organic milk if there was only like one left in the world. No, just kidding. No, you I would wouldn't not. stab. For okay, anything. so this has been all the the news this week. It's crazy. First of all, the news was about the pop about Popeyes fast food chain bringing back their chicken sandwich, and then within I don't know a couple hours, there was the news that someone had been fatally stabbed. Is there a food any of you would risk being stabbed for? Or, or, or be in a situation so risky and dangerous, you know? Yeah, I guess it would be circumstantial. Like, if it was the last, the food, the only food. If it was the last baguette and the world was ending. <laughs> or you had this great butter. You're going to die anyway. The head you know what? It, I think it's if you're going to die anyway. Maybe. Oh. Otherwise, I'm out. Is there a danger in food? Danger standing in line for food? Is there any connection there? Well, there was that line in Crown Heights that went around the block and there was a lot of antagonism like people cruising by just screaming obscenities what was the line for Popeyes oh my god wow yeah. I've never what been what is I've it that at... good that, uh, I don't know what is that what is it different about it than any other chicken restaurant I heard it's just done perfectly like perfect execution better than Chick-fil-A right. yeah. yeah perfect execution mm-hmm. I don't know it's simple it, it's like marvelous in its simplicity I guess. I haven't actually had it. I've it sounds like you've tried it. It sounds uh, like you were on no. that line in Crown No, Heights. my fried chicken venture ended with a double down. That was it. Well, what's that? That was that, uh, was it KFC? When they did the the breaded chicken was the bun. Oh and there was Yeah, there was grilled chicken in the middle with the breaded chicken. Would you stab for an arancini ball, no. Dave? Never. No, I wouldn't. But uh, I, can, I can understand the, the, uh, the appeal to chicken. Uh, I, I eat a lot of chicken, roasted chickens. I like fried chicken, although I try not to eat it anymore too often. <clears throat> but uh, I was thinking I would be a chicken, good chicken parm sandwich or, or hero I would be willing to be stabbed for. <laughs> oh or, or, or possibly a, a rainbow cookie. A rainbow, a rainbow cookie, cookie, like the Italian rainbow yeah. cookies? Yeah. I once stood in line at Windsun Bakery for so long that I passed out. And I, they kept my spot in line, thank God. Patrick said that the people next to, to him just kind of, like, pushed him along. And Yeah, and then I came to right before this. So I was very lucky. Serena, anything? You know, I'm one of those people who has food allergies. I'm technically celiac, but there's this incredible bagel spot um, in lower Manhattan called Baz. And they make this, this bagel with, like, avocado and mm. just, like, smoked salmon. And I don't know if I'd be stabbed for it though but, <laughs> but, if you, they were but like you, would, you would have a cheat day for it is your point yeah, yeah it's more like I would uh, you'd go all yeah. in yeah but I'm pretty much uh, I'm, I'm not really sure maybe if I was in Italy I would I would, <laughs> I would be eating something and cheating and, and eating something with gluten in it I don't Ever? know or maybe if someone told me there was like a one night only something and they're only I don't know. You have to go to a terrible neighborhood and stand in line outside. And no, maybe no, no, call no, you no, in. no, no lines. Just more like one night only, best experience of your life. This memory will be with you forever. But you might get stabbed. Would I take a little like stab in the side of my leg? And no, 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 <laughs> fatal. I, I can't hit any arteries. I don't know. No, it's ridiculous. The fact that that even happened is. You would crazy. have a checklist. You're like, I'm willing to get stabbed under these if, conditions. Will I actually die? No. Okay, then I'm in. I don't know. Sounds ridiculous. So the New York City Council just passed legislation, I believe it was last week, that will ban the sale of foie gras in the in New York City beginning in 2022. So do you guys believe the production of foie gras should be considered animal torture? 
Wow, every single one of you is nodding your heads. Yes, we are not on TV. Please, please, please expand. Can you please say, uh huh? <laughs> uh huh. So, uh, okay, Dave, start. Then I mean, we'll go around the horn. Well, I, I don't eat foie gras, uh, but I looked, I looked at it, I watched a video about the, you know, showing the process of they call it gavage, where they're force feeding the, the goose or the duck, and it was, it's not. So my understanding is they force feed them corn, mm-hmm. and the way that they force feed them, it expands the size of their liver to make it what more plentiful for us to eat or more delicious. Uh, just overfeeding it so the liver kind of gets fatty and blows up. But the way that they do it is just they they it's in a cage and it's they put a cage on top of it and force this long tube down its throat to you know to get the corn in. It's 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 pretty gross. <clears throat> and I mean I don't know. I, uh, I I have no problem with it being banned because I don't eat it, but... Uh, but for those who'd be willing to be stabbed for foie gras, well... I don't know. I think the, a livestock's goal is to eat itself to death. So, I mean, it is being given its, you know, God-given instinct in a way, but it's being forced. And that tube is artificial. But I think any animal left to its own devices would eat itself to death. But, uh, Serena, what do you think on the foie gras? You know, I think California is ahead of the game, and uh, San Francisco banned it, and um, I don't know. I just think, why should we enjoy food, like, that much that we have to force feed an animal? Because who knows? It might it might hurt, you know. Yeah, yeah farmers are claiming it doesn't, but how do they know? Yeah, yeah how do you know true. how it feels? You know? They should do it to themselves. Do you like That'd foie- be a video Patrick, I'd do you like, like to see. I, yeah, I think, of course people like it you know it's uh, it's like mcdonald's people like that too you might not be happy about it that it tastes kind of pleasing and sweet i mean some people think it's disgusting but like in montreal i mean they put foie gras on everything like on bagels and stuff i mean so yeah i think it's a greasy goes down easy very sweet very rich you know i don't know i mean those are most of the things i try to not eat, but I don't seek it out. No, I mean pate. Pate is kind of yummy. The way mayonnaise is kind of yummy. I think. But. but I don't know about other pates. I mean, I know there's the traditional way of making it, or that a chef might tell you. But uh, like we work with pastis, and they're doing their pate actually using pork belly. Like I think it just depends on how you want to shape and create your product, and you have creative license to call it pate. So maybe is someone going to make the the Milch, Patrick, of foie gras. <laughs> I was, uh, that was my basketball nickname, Pate, because I had such a, a smooth stroke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keeping on with, uh, keeping on with animals and products and uh, the environment, what favorite food would you be saddest to lose because of climate change? And what food or drink are you happiest to gain as a result of climate change? I mean, mangoes. When I can grow a mango tree in my backyard in Brooklyn, I will secretly. Is there going to be a new book called A Mango Tree Grows in Brooklyn? <laughs> oh, I was just yeah. curious if it, yeah, if it's like the food moves to you because of the climate change. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I mean, we, this could be orange country in <laughs> 600 years, you know, New York Bring City. Bring the tropical fruits. And things are warmer. I mean, secretly, people are not as anti-global warming. Personally, like, they're happy mm-hmm. when it's warm. They love that oranges are fresh well, for I don't know that global warming means that it's warmer everywhere. Mm. We're, we're also having, you know, the, the way that the, the seasons are going, the way that hurricanes are happening, the way things are flowing and moving. I don't know if it's just that we're all warmer, and therefore we're, we're all feeling a little bit more like we live in L.A. <laughs> a little bit. 
So, bit. what do you guys say? I mean, what concerns you about climate change with food, if anything? Well, I mean, I was going to say almond milk. Like, mm-hmm. we've luckily, we've got oat milk coming into the scene, but... Um, you know, almonds require so much water and in California, we're just not able to keep up with the supply. I don't know if I'd miss it. Like I think, um, avocados, like they require the perfect combination of hot and cold weather, Hmm. apparently. So, so almonds out, avocados in. Yeah. And are avocados seasonal? I don't know. I I'm ask any Mexican restaurant Mexico probably not. would know. Columbia I know they advertise during certain parts of the year. It makes me think that's the time when they're mostly available. But I think they're year round in California, but there's definitely so much demand. What other foods take up way too much water? Hmm, I'm trying to think. Because I know down along those things in California, they're yeah. like you have to outlaw all those little trees. Well, yeah, like most of our produce comes from California, mm-hmm. so. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what else would be a good example? Um, Foods that are getting phased What about out? coffee? Like, coffee might be impacted by climate change. Mm. Yeah, they say coffee would be. That would be terrible. That would be the one that I'd be saddest to lose. Wow, what, what, what would happen? Just that it would get too hot for the cacao bean to grow? Um, I'm not sure what the... I, you know, was, there was a list of of uh, foods that would be, you know, challenged by climate change initially. And coffee was one of them, avocado was another one. Uh, but uh, one that we would gain are weeds, so cannabis. <laughs> I was going to so, say any plant-based food we seem to be gaining. Yeah. But as a result of people being more focused on, like, carbon emissions, and I yeah. don't know, eventually are we not going to be allowed to have beef? Like, are there going to be are there going to be laws that the, the carbon footprint is, is too big? I never believed that the farting, the flatulence thing was actually causing such a massive thing. I think that was just used as a strategy to overturn meat eating. Because, I mean, how much could the cow farts really be changing the global climate? Is it well, not really? Actually, it's it's more about the um, like the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that, like, it's not just the cow farting. It's like the soil mm. It's just our practices and also deforestation, especially in like Brazil, um, where a lot of the cattle are raised. So cutting down forests to eat beef. And I think like that's definitely a concern. Um, But actually, uh, animal agriculture contributes to um, a large portion of greenhouse gas emissions. I think it's like 20 percent. So now that uh, do you support Burger King now because they have the veggie burger and and Dunkin' Donuts and, and now do you have to see them with the new eye because I personally think that um, I don't know I couldn't support Burger King more because of their other practices but I think it's great that they're trying to offer a product to vegetarians um, but I or do, meat eaters yeah. I mean it's for meat eaters too that's that's where. It's an interesting battleground. They're probably converting yeah. a bunch of people just to eat less meat. Yeah, and I think that it's more about not cutting meat out altogether, like taking meat out once a week or once a day. And just to make a small plug, um, Jonathan Safran Foer, who wrote Eating Animals, um, just he just uh, released a book in September called We Are the Weather. And uh, you should check it out because it's basically talking about how we can 
we can contribute to climate change with our decisions to like maybe cut back just a little on meat. Meatless we Monday. are the weather. Meatless Monday. I so, think uh, yeah. New York City was is pushing for that as well, sort of in line with their conversations about foie gras. They were they were moving towards having a I don't know, it's not a ban, but it's a meatless yeah, like a suggestion a, or a, a campaign for schools. Yeah. It was supposed to be in uh in I think, you know, government and schools. Exactly. Yeah, like one day a week not having meat. But then yes, Patrick. Oh, I had a question more about is like with the with animal farming for our consumption isn't it a big issue with the amount of water we use on the animals and the crops that we use to feed them? Yeah, the corn. Oh, too much water. Too much water. We need too much water for everything. That's going to be the big problem, right? In a few years, the water issue. Well, in general, Americans just are consumption of things. I mean, any European friends I've had since I was young, it was my best friend Julia. Her mom always had a sign in front of every sink that said, "Like, do not waste water." And it was like when you were in the shower. Ice is and a it waste was, of you, water. And you felt guilty for like running the shower to rinse your hair. And I'd come out of the shower when I'd be visiting or staying, having a sleepover. For like an hour, you'd use up all the hot water. No, it wasn't about the hot water. It was about the waste of water. And like, if you're shampooing your hair, you don't simultaneously have to be under the water. I mean, I don't do that. I'm in my own house. I. I guess I'm very wasteful, but... You leave the water on while you're brushing your teeth. Yeah, I yeah, do. I mean, I it's bad. Do too. It's not good. But I it's... have a few friends who who will, will call me out on it. That's why they don't make ice. You can't get ice in your drinks anywhere in Europe because it's a waste of water. Drink your Coke hot. You don't need it to be cold. Is it that a wa- it's a waste or is it that it's not filtered? Um... I don't know. They just, they don't, you can't get all their ices. Like you get one if you're lucky and it's like a sweaty little ice cube that melts in like seconds. What percentage, this is a question I have for everybody. What percentage of the food you eat likely comes from factory farms? Meat or, you know, grains or whatever. I mean, let's talk about your diet. Say 15% maybe. But Hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think if this includes produce. So so say if I buy... Uh, a carton of organic blueberries from Driscoll Farms. They ha- they also grow non-organic fruit, probably in an adjacent plot or something. So, is that con- that's still considered factory yeah. farm? Right? Yeah, so. that's a corporation making your food. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, unless you go directly to the farmers market or directly to certain sources, I think everything's coming from a factory farm, from like or a large-scale farm. No. Yeah, I mean, but he said it right. I think I'm close, actually. I don't eat healthy, but I do eat very little from corporations. I mean, I'm mostly eating our meat or Mm -hmm. pasta from Biopasta and Farmer's Market. That's where we get all our salads. So that's like 70% of what I eat. Bob's Red Mill, is that a corporation? What about you? Yeah, I try to keep it as low as possible because after working on eating animals, I just learned about these concentrated animal feeding operations or CAFOs. And, like, most of the farms in the U.S. are... CAFOs, so that's why it's important to support, you know, businesses like Heritage Meats mm-hmm. and, you know, s- smaller companies that are really trying to, to do something innovative like Frank Reese and mm-hmm. Good Shepherd Conservancy in Kansas. Like they, you know, they just treat their turkeys really well. So now that I've seen the, the dark side, I'm like all about making conscious choices when eating meat. I probably a little bit sneaks into my diet though mm-hmm. when I eat out like there's no way how could I know and I have to you know you have to enjoy life you have to go out 
Mm-hmm. And For I think sure. you also have to trust that the places that you're choosing to eat, you know, are maybe making. No. Well, that. You can't really trust that's them. That's the thing. You might think sitting in a. Fancy restaurant. In a, yeah, in a fine dining restaurant that they've chosen to to source well or to, you know, figure out where, like, to pick and choose the farmers that they want to work with. But a lot of times it just comes down to the bottom line. To a single or they, call they want to make to Cisco or to, you know, Dairyland and get everything from their toilet paper to their meat to the thing. And that laziness leads to anything. But if you did have to eat something out of a can, what would it be? I really like tuna fish. Really? Like, Even the bumblebee kind? Yes, I admitted to you the other night. I, I do buy That's bumblebee. called dolphin fish now. Hmm. What about you guys? Canned food? I eat a lot of the um, like the canned uh, mackerel and sardines and anchovies. Like ah. the wild planet. They have those, like, you know, sustainably caught small. I love the bottom trolling fish, you know, at the low end of the food chain. Jessica, how about you? Uh, canned peaches. Mm-hmm. I sucker for that sugar Dull. water yeah yeah. Dull, yeah yeah when i have those it's like I, there is that food taste memory from, from i like childhood. the cranberry too from thanksgiving that has that kind of weird <laughs> oh my god my dad is it. obsessed with the the canned the jellied one and mm. it, when it comes out of the can it still has the ridges yeah <laughs> anything serena black beans <laughs> Go, <laughs> like goya yeah i'm all about rice and beans it's great comfort food and well, rice is the foundation of uh, your empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you get your rice for your rice balls? We get it uh, uh, from a company in Sicily. It's uh, it's a it's a superfino rice. So it's like a risotto rice, but it's called originario. They don't really sell it here. It's like a smaller, rounder grain than like arborio. And Would you say your rice ball is better, arancini is better than most Italian rice balls in Italy because you're source such good ingredients? Uh, I mean, I've had Italians say that they've that they've enjoyed the rice balls better than the ones they've had there, uh, but I mean they're different mm-hmm. because their ours are like more Americanized and, and have different flavors that you won't find in uh, Italian rice balls. But I've had some some there that are pretty amazing. So. Because, you know, many people say Europe is getting lazy with their traditions and that they're so successful and exporting and so many tourists that they are no longer producing the rarefied, small batch quality items. And that somehow, weirdly, in America, you get the better version of prosciutto or better version of arancini. Do you have a minimum batch size for your arancini? Uh, I mean, you can make samples for, you know, for maybe like, if I have to make 50 or something like that, but typically the smallest batch would make, would make like... Like 2,000 rice balls or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 2,000 rice, rice balls. <laughs> rice, rice goes a long way. Oh my gosh. Wow. And you're right here in Bushwick? Uh, yeah, just down the street. Famous, you were back in the day. You were back in the day, day, day. Yeah, we started at the at the rec room mm-hmm. uh, on Flushing Avenue. They just had a little kitchen that they weren't using anymore. So that's where we started. And Then you have the shop. We used to do the block parties here that these guys used to throw. And uh, yeah, and then when that bar closed, we had to leave, and there was a commercial kitchen just down the street here that was at an opening, so we moved in there, and we've been there since. And how many, how many, I guess, uh, stands or, or retail shops do you have uh, right Sell for the Mets. We have one in the Lower East Side in the Essex Market, the, which had just recently moved, so there's a new Essex Market, and then we have some, some in the form of concession stands, uh, two at City Field. There's one in Madison Square Garden, and then we do suites at like Yankees and the Barclays Center and MetLife. And, and you were at Coney Island this year, right? Yeah, we've been there for a while. 
And uh, wow, that's really intense, really intense. The orange, orangini ball everywhere. It's a great thing to eat. It's portable, it's delicious. It, when it's crispy, it doesn't get all over the place. You know, it stays a self contained. Do you have a plate. signature ball for the teams? Like, uh, do the Mets have a signature orangini? Well, what it would have like. I was thinking more colors. Mets are perennial losers, so what no, would you put? I guess How do you maybe make like a ball a loser? maybe it would have to be have some kind of orange filling. Or maybe I'm there's no rice the inside that one. It's just <laughs> no. For the Mets. That, that wasn't where I was going for it. We're going with that. We, we, we switch it up. We like we, we 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 you know have different flavors for each new season. There's, there was like an amazing Mets cheesecake ball this year. All right, uh, so the so name the, the name, name is yeah. more. Uh, I tried to do something orange and blue, but I was like, oh, can you sweet potato with blue potato? Or I don't know. It was hard to find. That was not going to be a top seller. Yeah. I can tell. So you're going to ask your Halloween question, your favorite one. Well, it's not quite Halloween. It's it's uh, it's all year round. If you could bring back just one person, famous or not, to have a drink or a orangini with avocado bagel who would it be and why serena i'd say you know anthony bourdain because we're Mm. on the topic of food i just he's it would be so cool to sit down with him and talk to him and have a meal he he asks the best questions he but would you have said that when he was still alive also no probably not Mm -hmm. because i took that for granted but you know i was gonna say robin williams as well like a like his just his comedy Mm-hmm. He was really, really energetic. How about you guys? Bring anyone back for a meal? Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I would have go- loved to have sat down with Robin Williams and had a meal. Good. And a drink. And just, yeah, because he's got a nice balance of <clears throat> heaviness and lightness. And be cool to see his take on anything, really. Any, any heroes, food heroes? Uh, food heroes... I couldn't really think of any. I, I, I was my first thought was Jim Morrison, and then uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Oh wow! <laughs> Take my wife, please. No, that wasn't him. What was Rodney Dangerfield was in so many funny movies. What were his signature lines like? Uh, it was the whole no respect thing. Yeah, yeah, no respect. <laughs> Would you? I don't know. They like, say Johnny Carson said I think uh, one of the times he laughed most in his 35 years as a late-night talk show host for NBC was with Rodney Dangerfield. Like, they literally were buckled over laughing. All right, and um, on the topic of, of death uh, a little bit here, write the first paragraph of your obituary. So not the your name, who you know how old you were, all of that, but, like, the next paragraph. What would it say about you? I think, for me, it'll say that we collaborated to get the Good Shepherd Conservancy off the ground, which is like one of the most powerful places for new farmers and tourists and people who just want to see animals come to be like a world site. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for being involved with that. But um, my my good friend Simone Friedman was pivotal with that. But yeah, doing something really meaningful, doing some investigative reporting that hopefully helps people related to the environment, food. And it might say that I was a late bloomer. You know, it took me a while to figure out that I wanted to write again. So, you're you're in Columbia right now for for journalism, right? What are you looking to uncover? Well, I want to look at ways that animal agriculture and uh, certain practices are affecting human health, and looking at it 
through the lens of, you know, everyday people who might be impacted, might have had, you know, health issues. Um, but also, you know, like we talked about, there's people to profile who are doing things differently and innovating and um, trying to make small changes so that we get back to, you know, eating um, ways that we, we used to raise animals. But yeah, I mean, in general, I love like uh, talking to people. So anything that, um, you know, allows people to better understand the human mind or something like that. But it would probably also say that I worried too much. Oh, really? <laughs> My obituary. Oh. Yeah. We're, I'm a worrier. Will you, will you stay in New York, do you think, to do this uh, sort of next chapter of journalism? Or would you focus on another area? You moved to Salina, Kansas. I actually, you know, there's this whole movement of local journalism. So I think it's important for people to get out of New York and go to these smaller areas. Um, and Well, we saw that yeah. with the election. Yeah. Nobody knows yeah. what the hell people were thinking outside, like, Anderson Cooper's hot tub. You know, that seemed to be where all the journalism was coming from. And meanwhile, they were not understanding what was going on. My wife actually wants to do a kind of, what is it, where you go um, study or you go work abroad, Peacekeepers, uh, Kennedy's organization, what's it called? Not Greenpeace, but within America. What's that? Peace Corps. Peace Corps. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Our Peace engineers. Corps. But in America, where students, 18 or 16-year-olds, would go to Kansas City and the Kansas City would come to Brooklyn. And if you did that, it would really basically make everyone a Democrat. <laughs> That's what I'd like That's to your think. end goal. That's your end goal That's for that. One. All right, Dave, what would you say? Uh, this is a tough question, but... Uh, You're allowed to be a little boastful or self-deprecating, as Serena said. She's a warrior. Um, well, I, I've been thinking in terms of, uh, like, you know, you try to figure out what your personal values are and what if you have a purpose and what your purpose is and, and how you run a business r related to those things. So... Um, I think it's a lot of that. It's yet to be determined as I, as I, because when I started a business, I didn't really think about any of, of these types of things. So I'm like, well, it's, it's a good idea. Let's try it. Let's try it out. But I, I would, I would just hope that, that, uh, it's about relationships and like, uh, you know, being of service to other people, your friends, your family and, and your business relationships. And hopefully those people would say that, uh, that the, that having that relationship with me, uh, was a good experience and made, 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 made made the world a better place no 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 them. obits aren't like that your obit would say if you died no offense right now because i mean <laughs> if, if things change but he took uh while most people are looking to be creative you looked to a classic and perfected it and introduced it into new markets and uh, broke ground in new neighborhoods through the most simple of ingredients rice and i did it into a new thing so that's why i think you're perfect because so, that was really genius. I mean, to think that you could go down and bush. I think there's a reason that one does not write their own obituary. Yeah. It's also good to have an outside lens and somebody who can see. I'm going to write my own and submit it to well, the Times. Well, we know for that you're going to write your own. Yes, I don't want anyone. I don't want to be up to anyone else to say who I what I was thinking. He would definitely be disappointed with word choice. <laughs> I'll do it for free. Oh, great! You'll become a posthumous writer. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I spent too much time trying to figure this out and assuming it not happens soon uh tbd it would say i don't know i guess something along the lines of like didn't play well with others or played well with others 
found a way to work well with others and found sort of a happy medium, bringing people together over food and drink and sharing information and enthusiasm for information, found a way to integrate it into the human element. I like that. Very nice. That, that, that's along the lines of what both were saying, but I mean, yeah, yeah that is very nice. Yeah. Using the table. As, a, as an improving... Yeah, as it should be. Found found a nice setting. Well, you know, the WeWork guy claimed that. <laughs> he claimed that WeWork was the kibbutz of America and that it would literally decrease suicide rates and uh, that they would have daycare centers for the kids and it would be a commune. And then it totally went out of business. <laughs> And it didn't go out of business, but its value is like at zero. They even had the idea of after, I mean, after the office setting to do the, um, it, there was like, I don't know if it's called We Home. I don't know what they called yeah, it, but, home, they, but they were doing like we communal, li- <laughs> We Birth. Yeah. <laughs> you can rent an office for an hour, We Birth, it's everything. You can you can rent a delivery room yeah. on the go with your doula. Yeah. Okay, got it. There's a WeWork driver that'll come pick you up. Fantastic. That sounds like a great Uber we partnership. Roll. No, but he, he raised billions I know. of dollars from people, and he walked away with basically a $1 billion severance They're the pay. biggest real estate owner in New York City. And in all the major cities, actually. So what happened next? He just, he was a cuckoo bird, and none of the, they were so enamored by his charisma and energy and looks that they lost all this money. And, 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 and lesser investors, like I would consider myself, I don't even invest, would be like, hey, all these very important rich people that I see are investing in him. Let me follow them. But they were not even looking at the P&Ls. They, weren't even, they were just totally in love. And so it just bothers me about the workers that get That's fired. That's what his obituary will say, an attractive leader. Everyone just followed him. Yeah, that, an attractive leader who led people. I don't to even think he's that attractive, but everyone keeps writing that he was. He's six good five. He had and nice married hair, to a Paltrow, right? Yeah. Has nice hair. No one right? said that about me. You were bald for when you worked at yeah. Reuters, weren't you? Now I got great hair. <laughs> you know, it would be interesting to see how big a role looks play in like people getting funding for businesses. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's tremendous. Personality. And men get more funding than women because men will say outrageous things and appear much more confident even though they might have nothing going on in their head about what's going on. (laughs) They say, hey, I'll tell you I'm going to make it happen. One's like, it's not going to be easy. There's a lot of factors to think about with this. And they're like, ah, boring, you know. It's weird. It's wrong. I think introverts are underrated. There's a whole book about that called Quiet. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, introverts are so, they have so much going on and they're not going to blurt it out and like boast about what they want to do. Um, what funny. do they do? Do they s- slowly build the business or do they, you know, are I, they more of strong writers or are they just don't get the opportunity because our world is so loud? I think it's a combination, but it's like the quiet people, you know, look out for them and keep them close because chances are like they're really thinking through things. I haven't read the book yet, but I'll report back when I do. Mm-hmm. Cool. We have to take a very so, quick... Oh. Be quiet is the theme of that. We have to take like a very that. quick. We have to take a very quick break. We will be back momentarily. Be quiet. Thank you. With uh, Jessica, slow. Dave, and Serena. Consider
Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. All right, welcome back. Thank you, Matt, for bringing us back. This is the Main Course OG broadcasting live. Oh, no, that was my phone. Broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's here in Bushwick. Uh, we are in studio with Serena, Dave, and Jessica. So, Serena, you were at Columbia Business School as a grad student. We were talking about it a little bit before. I wish the business school. Oh, I'm sorry. I the journalism have ever school. The GMAT. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, no, I'm kidding. The journalism school. Are you working on any pieces right now? I know your focus you said is environment and food. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually taking environmental writing right now with a woman named Marguerite Holloway. She's a New York Times reporter. Um, she has really been inspiring to, you know, look at something locally related to climate change and the environment. So I'm actually going to be interviewing chefs and um, in the city who are trying to source food differently, whether they are, you know, sourcing from heirloom varieties or, you know, I want to talk to Patrick about well, We came up heritage. with a list for you. After the uh, after the show, we'll send you uh, tell you about these five chefs that we think really represent that. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. I also wrote about a bill in New York City Council for bird safe glass, and um, basically, up to three hundred thousand birds die every year in New York City flying into glass. So there's little things that buildings can do, commercial buildings mm. especially. What have like a wa waiver a little bit? These or? little like ceramic dots. Um, and they actually help with energy efficiency for the building, too, so it's a, it's a plus. Um, and that article was really interesting um, just because, like, birds, you never notice them. You think pigeons are the only birds that live in New York. But when you look around, there's, like, incredible, you know, birds of prey and owls. And we're under a migratory flyway here in New York, so hundreds of birds coming through every year. Do birds ever? Do pigeons ever fly at night? 
I have no idea. But huh? yes. Well, so I was going to say there I was an article the There was an article in the Times uh, that every year during the 9/11 memorial time, yeah. I guess it's like the week or so yeah. that they the the lights that go up to to mimic the the World Trade Center, yeah. the towers, it's right in the middle of of migratory season and apparently there's like hundreds of thousands of birds that are flying over the New York area. And every 20 minutes, there's a team of people that sit and watch from a certain vantage point and have binoculars. And if they count, I think it's up to like a thousand birds, they flip off the lights for 20 minutes because they're so confused. They're just following the light. So exactly. I don't know if that was in your studies, but it, well, I thought that was I, very no, cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. There's actually a second bill about that. You know, a lot of buildings just keep their lights on for no reason all night. And not only is it a nuisance when you're trying to sleep, if like there's a really bright building nearby, but birds are attracted to it. So um, I'm really impressed with Wild Bird Fund. They're taking in like all the birds in the city. And if you find a bird, um, you know, contact New York City Audubon and... Um, they will, they'll help you or, or wild bird fund. But yeah, I, um, Columbia's really, really hard. I'll just say that. Um, what did they make you do? Like read 500 articles in a day or write, write that, write me an article in 30 minutes. I mean, how do they teach you? How do they train you? Well, they actually, in my reporting class, um, a nation writer, David Haydu, he's actually a music writer. And then this former Associated Press uh, reporter Dolores Barkley. Um, they were teaching us how to, you know, do drills, like you know, get a lot of information all at once, and then we'd have like an hour to write like a 500-word piece. That's and cool. then I'm also taking an investigative writing uh, class with an, another New York Times journalist, um, Reed Abelson, and she um, she's pretty incredible. But she is teaching us literally how to search every like database how to do a google search and one of the most interesting tips that i've learned is if you're ever curious about someone put their name in quotes and then write and lawsuit or and arrest and you'll be surprised at finding dirt on people pretty quickly Um, but the key is you have to you have to add different creative words to google interesting ways to get around the system what do you think of the m dash it's interesting you say that because uh, it's overused sometimes, but I love it at the same time. Um, you don't want to go crazy on it, but it's just the perfect tool when you don't want to add too many commas and you want to really like emphasize a clause, mm-hmm. make it stand out and sound It's an really independent smart. clause, right? It carries an independent clause with it. It's not parentheses, which can be anything. It's actually a, a sentence within a sentence. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a way to to just delineate it even more. And especially if you have commas before or after it, it would be really confusing to have like another two commas. And so it really makes it pop out at the reader, I think. But yeah, you have to be careful about too many, too many. And also there's like two different types of M dashes. We know how to do the long one. You it's need like to a hit really three long letters. one. Yeah, it's yeah. control app. Patrick's telling you how to the shortcut key for how to put it into your, your Yeah, Microsoft I'm not order. super brave about the three dashes. I'm just into No, no, the no. Two. The, the three. You need to hit three buttons to get one long one. To get a oh, true yeah, M yeah, dash. Yeah. My, my Mac, you have to hit three buttons on your computer for the oh. computer. To if not, you get the little dash. Oh, which I is thought not you meant. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, no. Three no. dashes, I don't know. I've been known to use three dots uh, as a, instead of et cetera. That's a big... <laughs> 
Like you can't do that. You can't do that. But um, one of the crazy things about Colombia is like just meeting so many interesting people. Like um, you know the guy who broke Theranos scandal. Um, This Friday we have people from Parkland um, from the shooting. Some of the students coming to talk to us about reporting on trauma. So I just really I'm, I'm learning so much, and I really I like how they look at trauma. They look at you know nuanced ways to cover issues and and how to be more sensitive and ethical in reporting. How do you feel about adverbs? (laughs) Oh, those are a big no-no. Once I realized how many I was using, I I started Stopped quickly? (laughs) Yeah, I stopped real quick. (laughs) Real quick. No. (laughs) I just was like, it's kind of funny. You just kind of start scratching out a lot of stuff you write and just rewriting it. But it's become more of a habit now to leave those out because what do they really add, yeah. you know? I was with someone that, you know, you're really cutting edge doing your work and line of work. I love what you do with eating animals. But uh, we, I was interviewed by someone from CBS and I was like, oh, how many full-time food people do you have working at CBS News? And they were like, mm, dedicated zero. But we have these two people that also cover food. I was like, how many business people do you have? They're like, you know, 600. I'm like, you guys are idiots not to think that food and chefs and agriculture and global warming doesn't deserve two people. So through journalism, you're kind of showing that food is a lens through which, you know, you can have an I worked in PR for several years. And if I think back to the people that we were pitching and who was the, the different name editors on the, on the masthead, especially before all the mm-hmm. online publications, most of the time food was encompassed into like the lifestyle yeah. section. There or was fashion. not anybody uh, who was specifically... It wasn't that food or, or the culinary scene was their background. Now that there's more publications dedicated to food and it's been trendy for and the animals, last 10 years. Yeah. No, and animals and agriculture, yeah. sure. But it used to just be that there was the catch-all team for anything that vaguely fell into that category. The good-looking people who yeah. like to go out at night, you know. And no, those are real hard-hitting news stories uh, about food. Gastronomy is a serious discipline, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, food can be a lens where you look at really difficult topics that otherwise would would probably be hard to talk about. You know, climate change, we've heard the same story about storms over and over again and weather. So it's cool to look at chefs, I think. And mm-hmm. um, you, bring, you bring up a good point. I think that gastronomy is like an amazing way to bring all of these other subjects together. Our friend uh, Mark Ladner is one of the people that started Heritage Foods Wholesale. He refused at Del Posto while he was still chef there to sell oysters, to, to serve oysters from the West Coast because of what had happened in Japan. So I was actually thinking about with the nuclear, this and that, you know, and that the water wasn't as healthy. And I was like, what an interesting thing that Mark is the only guy I've ever heard stand up for some environmental causes related to the Pacific. The government didn't, the, you know, maybe some watch groups did, but he was an actual guy. He's like, the 25,000 people that eat my restaurant each year will not be served that because I'm making a health decision for them. Uh, you know, more and more people are going to be thinking that way. Jessica, well, I was going to say, Jessica, what's your what's your lens of the of the culinary scene through being at Vinegar Hill House? Oh, oh classic restaurant. Yeah, the hits. Uh, my lens. I mean, just the passion that goes into it. Like you, you find so many people from so many different walks of life, like expressing themselves and the, like just their dedication to the environment or uh, 
like the people and places and like you know tradition and progression and doing it all like under the same kind of like not shaking up the machine but using a different fuel like yeah just no that's really the cool. machine yeah. has been the same for yeah. ever our, our country shop has been on there since day one and that was 15 years ago but i think it must also be interesting as different chefs come in as personalities change mm-hmm. i mean gene adamson is still the the owner and and sets the the overall vibe mm-hmm. um, most of the people there are the same yeah, yeah. clients we actually have... and wait staff bartender who's that blonde bartender that was there amanda yeah she's been yeah. there forever and quinn lay is back he, mm-hmm. uh he's you know he's it's not like he changed the whole menu he's just He's adding, a shepherd, yeah, he's more just, than a mm-hmm. inventor, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, keeping it on course, bringing it back home, and yeah, and it's just it, we're coming into natural. We just finished Goat Tober, yeah, which was <laughs> enlightening and interesting as far as like the the animal aspect of it. I didn't know about goats yeah. normally born in twos and <clears throat> yeah. And you can never ever go to Dubai Petco. You always need a companion for it. They must never be alone. Yes, exactly. I always say that for the humane thing, thinking that some some Brooklyn kid's going to buy a goat and it's going to be totally sad in their backyard. You goats know, they'll buying never get two, a yeah. Um, Heritage is not exactly about saving those uh, pet goats here in Bushwick, but we're a little bit more about the. Uh, <laughs> Although people who think who don't eat meat, I mean, twenty percent of our animals die of old age. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank says that because they're the breeders. They stay. They're not killed. Uh, the problem with the, every animal dying is those dead-end animals on factory farms. Frank has 13-year-old turkeys on his farm. So, I mean, many of them, in a way, they become pets because they're not laying productively anymore, but they're allowed to live out their life and die a painful death on the field, <laughs> on some dusty field. I mean, sometimes I, I kind of do want to take myself out. I mean, if I'm really falling apart when I'm 90 years old, I do not want to go to hospice <laughs> and have my kids visiting me as I'm, like, vomiting off the side of the bed. Like, I just don't want that. I'm writing it down. You can sign that later. I want you to take me to the Staten Island Ferry. I want that to be the last thing. Right. And you leave me, I'll just fall off the back. So, um, all right, Dave, what have you learned running a business that has a focus on a single item? And uh, what's next for you? Um, Single item business, I think uh, the simplicity of it is uh, it's efficient. So you don't really have to worry, uh, you know, like if you have a full service restaurant with a full menu and you're sourcing all these different items, like it, uh, what we do is pretty simple. But um, I think that you have to be really... Uh, deliberate in you know, like a marketing strategy like where where does this belong where does this work uh, because it's not a full service restaurant and if if you were to just open you know th- I think you just have to be really careful about like where you open like for us the stadiums make sense um, because uh, and, and concerts we do a lot of like festivals and concerts so um, does the Essex market spot work uh, yeah the uh, the the old one I think a lot of people either didn't know it was still open or it was kind of on its way out. So that that place was really slow. But since the new one opened, it's been it's been good. There's been a lot of is commitment. that because it's more of a destination that's, that's shiny and bright. Yeah, movie yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a new it's a new spot. I mean, we'll see how it how 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 it plays out over time. But um, um, who are you next to at the Essex Market? Uh, we're next to a sandwich shop called Heroes and Villains. There's um, on the other side. There's a company called nordic preserves that does all the smoked fish yes 
Um, I actually like some of their things. Yeah. Weird stuff that I'm like, where are you curing this? I get the sense it's like in that big Swedish lady's bath or, <laughs> or something like that. But it's still delicious. Yeah. Um, do you do any collaborations? Um, Can yeah. you put some smoked fish in that? No, that might be gross. Maybe yeah, not. I mean, we've we've partnered with a few different, like we're doing, we have, we're, we're actually using some of the Beyond Meat stuff to do some like vegan versions mm. of, you know, of uh, that. And we've done things. How do you get a delivery from them? 50 pound cases of... Uh, of a pate of sorts. They have uh, they have a number of food service products like that come in you know say five pound bags of ground sausage or you know. Uh, Does it cook or, like meat? Um, Same time. Temp? Uh, it's quicker, I think. You know, it's because it's, it's it's essentially already cooked. You just have to heat it up, um, and I think it's about like what you're mixing it with. How long can it stay fresh? Um, shelf life. I, I mean, it comes frozen, so. I'm thinking it's at least, you know, it would be at least a year frozen. And fresh? Fresh. That I don't know. I'm not really sure. You use so much of it all at once. I don't really. I mean, I don't really eat it myself, right. but. Uh, now, do you make great balls all the time? I mean, have you had a period where your balls were at their best and other periods where something was lacking? Or, I mean, uh, how often do you produce a ball that's like 98% or higher in terms of your dream of what a ball and where does your average lie? Um... I mean, the ones that are, that we, you know, that kind of work, we haven't really changed. Uh, and, I mean, incidentally, I don't really, I don't really eat rice balls anymore <laughs> because, I mean, I, I just... Uh, You're I, sick of them? No, it's not that. I just, I just, uh, I got to the point where I was really heavy and I wasn't really good, I wasn't really good You look health, great. But I, I, I lost a lot of weight because I watched what I eat and, you know, kind of changed my diet a little bit. But, um, uh... And uh, if, would you make your ball come out better if you only made ten in your kitchen, or does it come out better when you make ten thousand at a factory? I mean, if it's it's easier to to make a high quality product if you're making a small batch. I mean, the trick is to try to you know maintain that quality if you're if you're scaling it and making a lot. But uh, wow, that's pretty. What's cool. next for you guys, Serena? New York Times. <laughs> magazine no i i don't think so yet i gotta prove that i can write first i'm um gonna go to pennsylvania actually and look at um some of the concentrated animal feeding operations there the capos in uh, lancaster county um potentially and and sort of how that contributes to like the river the susquehanna river that flows through pennsylvania down into the chesapeake um that's probably going to be my longer piece that i write um, and yeah, I think just, you know, continuing trying to figure out where I want to go next geographically. And, uh, I love New York, but it's, it's a really intense and expensive place to live. So will you subscribe Emily and I to your first newspaper when you come out with it? We <laughs> want to be your first subscribers. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to leave you with my credit card. Or at least, just, at least just the link to your first, uh, your, your long feature article. I want papers. I want to get what is she going to call it? The, the Serena Snyder? Th printed out? 30 feet of my doorstep. Okay. Uh, if you could print a hard copy for Patrick, no, that would be great. No, newspapers. I would love to have local but, newspapers. But, you know, podcasting is is something that a lot of my classmates are, are looking to do and not writing. So being here today, you know, I think podcasts are so fun. Maybe you guys will pull me in that So you're direction. categorizing this show as fun. Well, it's a day of firsts. <laughs> we also have a great... No, there's a great show on the network called Meet and Three, and that is a, a more 
produced, edited, uh, short, I, I guess, what is their... Patrick, In French, do? it's called Viande et Trois. Yeah, the but it shout does, out should be going to What Doesn't Kill You. Katie Kiefer covers Capos a lot. Oh, yeah, Katie Kiefer in What Doesn't Kill You covers Capos a lot. Maybe you come back and be a guest on her show. She was actually a, a host here on the main course once. Very, yeah. very smart. Well, yeah, that would be cool. I guess I should distinguish between like live radio and podcasting, but I, I consider that audio Well, we're not audio, radio audio because journalism. we don't broadcast on the waves. But everything else is radio. It's on a schedule. It's in the studio. People don't just send in their little, you know, zip drives with all their information. It's actually, Everyone broadcasts here. Yep. Or I would say 90% of the shows. The board actually set a limit on the number of shows that could be sent in, assuring that Roberta's and, you know, this energy would be part of each show. Even though no one can see it. Although we have talked about putting a movie camera, uh, a camera up here. Patrick wants so the a way YouTube they do. My channel. friend says a sports yeah. show. He just has like a bag of Cheetos and he's just <laughs> sitting there drinking like a tub of Coke. All right. On that note, we uh, have another show up next, A Taste of the Past. So we are going to thank you guys for being here in the studio with us. And uh, we hope to see you all at the radio gala on Monday, November 11th. Check out heritageradionetwork.org forward slash gala. Thanks, guys. The main course OG is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.